we live in a world without peace. There are currently, depending on how you count them, 110 to 170 armed conflicts, depending if you count state-related ones or non-state-related ones. We hear of Ukraine and Russia, Palestine, Hamas and Israel. There's Congo and Rwanda. There's Armenia and Azerbaijan. There's Prague. Trying to frantically write with the Ternos, our beloved cross-cultural workers, make sure they were okay. Actually, St. Charles, the university is right across from another university, which is where he works. And then Cecil's father, his family, and the ache. Isaiah lived in the world without peace. 700 B.C., Ahaz sold out an already divided nation. And he took Judah on and made a deal with Pul, the Assyrian king. He set up altars around Baal, around, uh, of Baal around the region. He even offered his son to the fires of tribute to the foreign gods. Their political, social, and religious life were in shambles. And to our world without peace, and to Isaiah's world without peace, this prophecy is given. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice at dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke of the burdens that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, the fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And I read with the kids, and his name will be called, and remember it's one long name. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we'll concentrate on this Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and holding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. You fast forward 700 years. Jesus entered a world without peace. You have know this story that it's a Roman-occupied world. Herod is reigning over it and just ordered infanticide. And what about Mary? The Gospels tells us she was afraid. She experienced the shame and condemnation of a community. They think that she's about to have an illegitimate son, and Joseph thought the same thing at first until God sent an angel for, her, for him to straighten things out to explain things. What kind of anxiety and consternation does this teenage mom have and then has to go off into another land? What must have she felt? It's a good thing that when she was told this was going to happen, the angel must have been a powerful uh, experience. Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob 
forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Does that sound a little bit like Isaiah? The answers to Mary's trouble and the violence, the peacelessness of this world is actually in the child that she would bring into the world. The radical claim of the gospel is that Mary's son is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah we just read in the entire book of Isaiah. That Jesus is, in fact, the prince of peace. What is this peace? It's a peace where he has a government, a government of peace, a government that includes peace, and that it won't end, that his reign will be forever, upholding it with justice and righteousness. It's clearly a cessation of the hostilities, but it's also a perpetuation of justice and peace and mercy. And there is no peace without justice, and it brings both. Peace without justice is a ceasefire. But peace, biblically speaking, is so much more. To oversimplify, I'll say this, that there's a distinction between two non-English words, a Hebrew word and a Greek word for these things, for peace. Pax is peace, and shalom is peace. Pax, in a Greek and Roman mindset, is the avoidance of or the absence of conflict. That's why they have Pax Romana. The peace of Rome, a thousand-year reign, utterly reigned over by domination of all people groups, giving enough room to have their cultures, but don't step out of line. That's the peace of Rome. Shalom, which is the, another biblical term, is holistic and pervasive harmony. You hear it in our carols. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. That's the gospel. That's the peace that he brings. Heck, enjoy the world, the rocks, hills, fields, I can't even say it. Fields, floods, rocks, hills, and plains. Repeat the sounding joy. It's holistic peace. You got hearts and nations and nature and fields and rocks. This is the radical claim of the gospel, that he is the prince of this kind of peace. He has come to bring shalom as far as the curse is found. And I want to concentrate on just two parts, peace with others and peace with God. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. <clears throat> I need to you engage your sanctified imagination in this. Every garment that has been rolled in blood by wars and atrocities, every boot for the battle, every belt or weapon used to abuse, every wounding word that we have said and has been said to us to bring peace there. And it is all destined to burn fuel for the blaze, for the fire that brings light and energy and warmth. This is a good fire here. Everything from relational discord to international conflict to bring his peace with, so that we might have peace with others. Everything from snide remarks that I found myself making yesterday because it's Christmas and it's overcrowded stores and also I'm a sinner and have a lot of non-peace in me for the ways that you and I have hurt our loved ones and our folly and our pride, and our arrogance, 
and our selfishness, where we've disrupted the peace. All those weapons burned in the fire. I looked up military, the futures of military boot markets. It's hot right now. It's a $4.7 billion industry. But the futures on it say in 2033, it'll be over, get my number, $7 billion. Sorry, it's $4.3 billion. So they're saying, you need to get in on this game. The wars are increasing. Buy boots. Think about what that means. The key trends are headed that way. Which brings me to the point of a prophecy fulfilled. And it's uh, one of my professors, uh, and uh, I don't know, he probably borrowed it from someone else, and some of the ancient rabbis and some of the ancient uh, Christian theologians talk about prophecy uh, in a term they call foreshortening. And uh, when we were in Albuquerque it, it, uh, the, other, the other month or earlier this month or late last month, you could see it. Um, when you start looking at mountain ranges, you could see one, you could see what looked like one mountain range, but there were other ranges behind it. If you've ever been in Kansas going west, you see the Rockies and you see one silhouette. What you don't realize is that in some places there's 400 miles in between those things. And as you get closer, maybe through the first one, you start to see the depth and the breadth of what has been prophesied. So he's saying this government will have no end and they'll be full of peace. 700 years they wait. And Jesus comes and they see it, but they don't realize it's another 100 miles. And those 100 miles is 33 years where Jesus finally comes to do his full bidding, to die for our sin and be resurrected. And then there's still a whole 2,000 years after that for us. Home, we don't know how many miles away it is when we see the fulfillment of it in his second coming. That's what these prophecies are. So what I want to try to encourage you is to say that it, it is, it's still true. It's just we're on the first layer of the Rockies or the second layer of the Rockies. But this means we still don't have to buy more boots. All the boots that we use that we can be instruments of peace, not just absence of conflict, but bringing forth shalom. Oh, Holy Night says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. We can practice not buying more boots, but bringing more shalom to bear in the world. And so by faith we live in the middle of this prophecy, between the mountains, between the Rockies, which brings us to the source of all grace and all peace. And that is not just peace with others, but peace with God. If you know anything of peace, you know that you can have peace on the outside to some degree, but you can't sustain that peace without peace all up in here. And you can't sustain that peace without peace with God. The promise is this prophecy is full of joy. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing plunder. A few weeks ago, I told you that, the, that, that Israel in that day was consulting mediums. Today, I told you they're making alliances with evil nations and they were worshiping other gods. The conflicts, the peace that needs to be brought here is actually Israel with God. They have run away, called him enemy, 
and moved away from him. They were a conflict that was self-destroying. It was their own civil war. And they were fighting both sides because they were fighting against the one that loved them. They, like we, are our own oppressors, objects and subjects of the conflict. And our beef is way too often and has been the reign of God over our lives. And so we do what the scripture says, rebel, become enemies. But God's promise here is to move them from a place of despair in their own violence, self-inflicted pain, to experience this joy, this rejoicing of the kingdom, his reign. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. Oh, Holy Night says, love that line. That we're pining in our sin, in our folly. And then when Jesus comes, what we see is him and what we see is the worth of our own souls. We, we, we see what he treasures and the treasure that we are to him. The beauty of his mercy and the eternal value he has put on us and everyone who calls upon his name. This is the kind of thing will compel you to lay down your arms against another and certainly against God that we can give up. That's good news. And to top it off, Jesus doesn't just show us his grace and his mercy. By his coming, he shows us the extent of it. Because God is a God of justice, he doesn't skip over our rebellion, our trampling boots, our blood-soaked linens. No, the Prince of Peace is going to establish a, co- a, a, a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice for this time and forever. And the way he does do that is that 30, 30 years later, after the, fil- the initial fulfillment and unfolding of this prophecy. He makes himself the sacrifice, what the Old Testament calls a peace offering. In the Old Testament, you hear this about this peace offering, and the peace offering is sometimes called fellowship offering. What happens is, is you as the offerer of making peace with God, you bring an unblemished bull or cow or lamb or goat, and you put your hand on it. And you kill it. And the priest takes some of the blood and sprinkles it around the altar. And part of it is burned and sacrificed. Part of it is kept with the priesthood. But the vast majority of it is brought home to prepare for a feast. That you are now right with God. And now you eat with him. By his favor and by his love. And what Jesus is, is both the host of that peace offering and the offering itself. And this is the good news of the gospel. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world. He is our Prince of Peace.